Well, uh, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 12. We're going to continue our series in the book of Luke tonight. Uh, we've been studying what it means to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus. Um, we're kind of going back to basics this summer in our evening series. Um, and to do that, to learn about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, we've been looking at the middle section of the Gospel of Luke, chapters 9 through 19. Uh, in this section of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem with his disciples. Uh, he's teaching them. He's instructing them. He's doing life with them. Uh, and Luke, uh, as it were, takes us along for the journey uh, so that we today can learn as well uh, what it means to follow Christ, what it means to be his disciple. So let's do that. Let's jump back into the journey at Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 24. Let me read this for us. Luke 12, 13 through 34. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let's pray together. 
Lord Jesus, we pray that you would take these words that you spoke so long ago and recorded for us in the Gospel of Luke and you'd make them alive to us tonight again. By your spirit, we pray. Give us hearts to hear, Lord, what your spirit is saying to your church. God, we ask that we would be changed and we would grow more and more into your likeness as a result of attending to this word together. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Okay, so our text tonight is clearly about possessions, right? You see that in verse 15, verse 32. Uh, This text is all about wealth. It's about money. Uh, And in particular, Jesus addresses here, I think, two of the most common heart attitudes that we have when it comes to money or wealth or possessions. Uh, On the one hand, there's what he calls covetousness. That's verse 15. Look there, he says, be on your guard against all covetousness. And then on the other hand, there's anxiety. In verse 22, Jesus says, don't be anxious. Two different attitudes that we often fall into when it comes to money, both equally problematic. Uh, But, you know, even though they're problematic, even though we sort of look at them and we think, yeah, that's kind of out of line with living in God's kingdom, with living as Jesus as Lord, uh, there are two attitudes that it's so easy for us to slip into, isn't it? And so Jesus helps us as he brings them into light and he shows us a better way to approach this topic of money. Now, before we dive into each of those heart attitudes and what Jesus has to say there and how he points us to a better way of living, uh, let me just say, if you're here and you're new to Christian things, if you're here, you're visiting with a friend or you're just sort of exploring Christianity, uh, maybe you're a bit suspicious when it comes to talking about money in church. Um, Here I am, I said that this whole text is going to be about money. You're here in a church and you're thinking, oh no, I walked into one of those churches where they're just going to beat me over the head and tell me that I need to give them money. Uh, You know, and if that's you, maybe you're, maybe rightfully so, you're a bit suspicious. Some people have used Christianity in terrible ways to weasel people out of their money. Um, But I hope you see, and I promise you, uh, tonight this sermon is not going to do any of that. And I hope you see that real Christianity is not that. That real Christianity is not just a tool to sort of weasel people out of their resources. Rather, in fact, Jesus is addressing here one of those realities of human life that we can't escape. All of us, in some way, have to deal with the issue of money. Whether we're very well off or whether we're struggling to make ends meet. And the question is, Does God make any difference in that? When we approach our material possessions, our wealth, our money, whether we have a lot, whether we have a little, does being a follower of Jesus actually connect to this everyday feature of living life? And as we've said, so often when it comes to this everyday feature of living life, we fall into one of these two heart attitudes. Think about it. Think about covetousness. Now, that's not a word we use much anymore, is it? None of you probably woke up this morning and thought, I'm experiencing some covetousness, right? Probably not. Uh, What does it even mean? Uh, Okay, well, a covetous heart basically says this, I need more to be happy. I need more to be happy. On the other hand, an anxious heart, what does an anxious heart say? An anxious heart says, I don't have enough 
to be safe, to be okay. Do you see those twin attitudes? I need more to be happy. That's covetousness. I don't have enough to be okay. To be safe. That's anxiety. That's worry. Now, I think that's pretty much how most of us feel at one point or another in our relationships towards possessions, towards wealth. The question is, is there any way out? Because oftentimes we sort of ping back and forth between them. I need more to be happy. Uh Uh-oh, I don't have enough to be okay. Well, let's look at how Jesus addresses these issues. First, covetousness, verses 13 through 21. So someone in the crowd uh, sort of calls out to Jesus, says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Okay, well, we don't know a whole lot about this guy or his situation. Uh, one plausible scenario, I guess, is that maybe he's, a, maybe he's a younger brother feeling like his older brother hasn't given him the amount he deserves of the family inheritance. Uh, something like that seems to be going on. We, we can't be quite sure. Um, and he calls out, Jesus, tell my brother to give me what's mine. Now, we should say that Of course, God cares about justice and fairness and doing right by one another. But Jesus must perceive something else going on in this guy's heart. Because he doesn't say, yes, fairness and justice. These are qualities that God admires. Bring your brother and let's settle this. What does he say? Man, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? He pushes back at this guy, doesn't he? He challenges him. He refuses to play the role of judge. Because, after all, there were plenty of capable judges around. There were plenty of civil courts where this guy could have taken his complaint and gotten justice. Chances are, this guy probably just wanted to leverage Jesus' popularity in his favor. Jesus was a famous rabbi at this point. So this guy wants to use Jesus' reputation as a popular figure and teacher to win his case. And it seems that Jesus sees straight through all of this, right down deep into the heart issue that's driving this guy. Why does he care so much about what cut he gets of the family inheritance? Jesus must see something deeper because he turns and he warns them and says, Be on your guard against all forms of covetousness. Be on your guard against the heart that says, I need more to be happy. Why? For my money, this is one of the greatest lines that Jesus ever spoke. I love this line. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. And then, Jesus does what he always does. He tells a story. He tells a story of a rich man who has so much produce and so much wealth that he has to tear down his barns and build bigger ones just to fit it all. This guy kind of has the problem that we all sort of wish we had. Oh no, there aren't enough digits in my savings account to fit the amount of money that I need to put in there. Bank of America just won't let me put more in there. Okay, I'll have to open up another account over at Webster Bank to fit the amount of cash that I have into my savings account. That's what this guy's dealing with. 
He has enough to store it all up, take early retirement, relax, eat, drink, be merry, he says to himself. Obviously, Jesus is painting a picture here of a guy who has it all. You know, this is the sort of tech developer who creates the breakthrough piece of software, sells it for millions, and can retire at age 30. He's working the four-hour work week. You know what I'm saying? He's living the dream. And you see what Jesus is doing here? He's sort of drawing us in. He's drawing us in and saying, what if you had all the material possessions you could ever ask for? What if that were you? Your heart says, I, I need more to be happy. Well, okay. What if you had it all? What if you were tearing down your barns and building them bigger? Would you be happy then? Jesus says, no. Only if you're a fool. Because one day, you're going to die. And probably sooner than you think. And nothing goes with you. That's Jesus. That's not preacher, right? I'm not, that's what Jesus says. You know, it's funny, uh, I heard a TED talk the other day about people sort of looking at statistics and whether they think that those have ramifications on their own lives. And it's so fascinating that all of us are sort of ingrained optimists. You know, when people sort of look at studies and it say, you know, chances are that like 30% of people in the world are going to, this calamity is going to happen to them. But when you, give the, when you give the people the survey, they say like, what are the chances you think you're going to die before the age of 40? Like 0%, right? I'm going to live forever. And then they say, no, like the percentage is this. It's like this percent. It's really high. And then they give them the survey again and it says, okay, do you think you're going to live that long? And only like 2% think they're actually going to like live any longer, live any shorter. Like it makes no difference. Everyone thinks they're going to live to a ripe old age and be just fine. But Jesus says, you know what? Whether you live to a ripe old age or not, material life ends. Temporal life will end. Life the way it's going now is going to end. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And you know, and then Jesus says, it's not just the fabulously wealthy who are at danger here. But he says, it's all of us. All of us are at danger Anyone who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You see, where is life and happiness really to be found? Not in getting more and more material possessions. But Jesus is saying true life is found in being rich toward God. Rich toward God. What is Jesus saying here? Do you remember the Cat Stevens song, The Cats in the Cradle? I would say I'm dating myself by referencing that song, but that, like, that one predates even me. Do you know the song, The Cats in Matt knows it. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Matt, you saw Bruce Springsteen in concert once, didn't you? You're going to get all my music references. That's awesome. Okay. So do you remember, do you remember the song, Cats in the Cradle? Okay, so if you, here's, the, here's the Cats in the Cradle. It's a song about a dad and his son. And the son, uh, uh, the son keeps coming up to the dad and asking to play together. 
Dad, let's hang out. Let's play together. Let's play catch. Uh, you know, I want to talk to you about my girlfriend, blah, 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 blah. And the dad keeps saying to his son, son, you know what? I'd love to do that, but I can't. I need to go to work. I got to go to this meeting. But, you know, one day we'll spend some time together. One day I'll come and play catch with you, whatever, whatever. And each verse, the kid gets a little older and older. And then the kicker at the end of the song is that, you know, the dad is old and the kid has grown up. And finally the dad calls his son and says, hey, son, let's get together. Let's spend some time together. Let's talk. And what happens? The son pretty much does the same thing back to the dad. Sorry, dad. I can't today, but another time, I promise. We'll, we'll do it again soon. It's pretty heart-wrenching, actually. But you know, I think that song points to a fact that we all get. That what really matters in life are relationships. Right? Who cares if you have tons of respect in the office and a billion dollars in the bank and three vacation vacation homes if your kids won't even talk to you when you call them? Wouldn't you trade all of that for a right relationship with your son or with your daughter or with your father or with your mother or with your husband or your wife? Wouldn't you trade all of that for that? Wouldn't you rather be rich toward them? rich in relationship with them. Wouldn't you be, be, be rich in that way than have all the wealth in the world? And of course we would say yes. That's way more important. But friends, what if there was an even more important relationship than those, you see? What if it was possible to be in relationship with someone who knew us more intimately than a husband or wife could ever know us and who loved us more unconditionally than any father or any mother? What if we were made for a relationship that would fill the deep longing of our soul, that longing to be happy and to find joy that lasts A longing that no amount of material possessions can satisfy. And if we're honest, no human relationship can satisfy. Friend, what if we were made for a relationship with God, you see? And Jesus is saying, are you rich toward God? God, who is the very ocean of our being. And the one whose beauty will ravish us and whose love will delight us for worlds without end if we're in a right relationship with him. What good is it to have piles of treasure bulging out of barns to have six or seven figures in the bank account if you don't have God? We all know that it's a tragedy to have it all and to be estranged from a child or from a parent. But friends, don't you see, it's a disaster to have it all and to be estranged from God. Because only he can make you happy with an eternal happiness. And it makes perfect sense when you think about it, doesn't it? A temporary thing can only give you temporary happiness. That makes total sense. But one who is eternal can give you eternal happiness, you see. 
How do you cut the knot of covetousness in your heart? How do you keep your life free from the lie that says, I need more to be happy? Jesus is saying, be rich toward God. And you'll start to feel that less and less. Be in a right relationship with him. Seek him more than you seek wealth. And you might say, how do I seek him? How do I become rich toward God? How do I get this eternal happiness? Well, friends, this is the good news of Christianity. This is, this is what it all comes down to, you see. The gospel says that Jesus Christ emptied himself of heaven's wealth and became utterly poor so that you in your spiritual poverty might become rich through a relationship with him. Our sin, the way in which we've lived for ourselves and sought our pleasure in other things, our sin makes us, as it were, poor towards God, bankrupt before him. No matter how much actual material money you have or no matter how many good works that you do, all of us have sinned and are separated from God. And on the cross, Jesus takes that sin, takes that spiritual emptiness and poverty from us. And three days later, he is raised again to give us his righteousness, to give us his relational wealth with the Father. How do I become rich toward God? Friends, this is how you become rich toward God. You stop trying to seek your satisfaction in other things and you find your heart's rest in the one who's taken your sin and given you God's own righteousness. Welcomes you into a relationship that is rich and eternal and everlasting. And here's why the financial metaphor is so helpful when we're thinking about this. Because you see, those who come to place their trust in Jesus, they're not just sort of given a clean slate. It's not as if they had a lot of debt and then their bank account goes back to zero, right? And then, okay, you're on your own from there. No. What the gospel says is that Jesus not only pays your debt, but he fills your account with the riches of heaven. That you are made eternally, spiritually wealthy with God. That there's nothing that hinders you from a relationship with him. What does it feel like to be rich toward God? To be in that kind of relationship with him? Jesus actually shows us in the next section of our passage. And here he actually confronts the other heart attitude that often comes after us when it comes to our material possessions. And that heart attitude is anxiety. It's worry. When our hearts say, I don't have enough to be safe. This is, this is verses 22 through 34. Now, I think most of us have felt anxious when it comes to money. Uh, you know, will I have enough to fill in the blank, right? Will I have enough to make rent this month, pay for college, get groceries for my family, pay off my creditors? Will I have enough money to retire? Will I have enough money to care for my aging parents? And how does Jesus address our anxiety? Well, he does something at first. He tells us something at first that seems a bit unhelpful. Rather than give his disciples a quick seminar on financial stewardship and money management so they'll stop worrying about their money and know how to deal with it, 
He tells them instead to look at the birds and look at the grass. Now, there's lots that the Bible has to say about financial stewardship, good money management. But, you know, the reality is, friends, is that's not going to cure your anxiety. Come look at the birds, Jesus says. Look at a raven with his jet black feathers and beak and eyes with his annoying little squawk. That raven's never put in a day at the office. It's never farmed a field. Doesn't have a bank account or a 401k. And yet God takes care of that little bird. And just think. You. Created in God's own image. Purchased with the blood of his own son. Glorious. Loved. You. Are you not of more value than the birds? Will not God take care of you? Now bring your, now bring your eyes down from the treetops and look out at the grass, at the fields. See all those wild flowers out there? You see the lilies opening up white as a cloud? That little speck of sun in the middle turning their faces down ever so gently. They have never sewed a single piece of clothing in their life. They've never gone shopping. And yet there they are, dressed more beautifully than the ancient kings and queens in their glory. More glorious than Solomon himself. And this is grass that we're talking about. Farmers in the first century used to burn grass as fuel in their ovens. It was, it was fuel for your stove. And yet God arrayed it in glory. Just think of what God intends to do with you. If he'll take a common field and make it look like royalty, what does he have in store for you, friends? Created in his own image. Bought with the blood of his own son. Oh, you of little faith, Jesus says. Will God not take care of you? You see, Jesus is telling his followers that your job is to be who he created you and redeemed you to be. And he'll take care of the rest. Ravens are created to squawk and fly. Lilies are created to grow and bloom. And God provides all that they need. And you are created and redeemed to seek his kingdom. And to live under his loving lordship at home, at work, in your relationships. To use your gifts and your talents and your time and your energy to serve others and to praise his name. And because God is your loving father through Jesus, he will take care of the rest. He will provide all you need. There might be times of hardship. There might be times when you're not sure how the rent's going to get paid or whether the job offer will ever come through. Jesus is not saying that you're going to have nothing but health and wealth in this life. No. But he is saying that he'll make sure you have what you need when you need it to do his will and to glorify his name. What does it mean to seek his kingdom if that's what we were created and redeemed to do? 
Or as Jesus says elsewhere in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, to seek first the kingdom of God. Does it mean that we should all quit our jobs and stop working? Become hermits? Stare at birds? Look at lilies? No, right? Of course not. Jesus created us to work, right? If you're able to work, you should find work to do. And more often than not, God will use your work as the means whereby he meets your needs. So what does it mean to seek first the kingdom? Okay, well, think about work for a second, just as an example. Imagine you're trying to decide between two jobs. One of them pays a lot of money, and the other doesn't pay as much, but it does more good for others given the gifts and talents and desires that God's given you. Which one will you choose? Of course, it's going to be tempting to just immediately choose the one that pays more, right? You'll presumably have less anxiety about money, check. You might even be more respected socially because you'll be able to buy more expensive things, check. Great. Decision made. Now, there's nothing wrong with making a lot of money. That might be the right decision to make. However, if you're seeking to live your life under the lordship of Christ to seek his kingdom and his reign and glory, you're going to stop and you're going to pray and you're going to discern And you're going to seek counsel with other brothers and sisters in Christ because you just might take the job that has less pay but does more good. Why? Because your father knows what you need. And he's not stingily holding on to the kingdom, waiting for you to measure up It's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom, Jesus says. And if he's giving you the kingdom, what else do you need? So Jesus shows us two unhealthy heart attitudes to money, covetousness and anxiety. And he shows us that if we're rich toward God, if we know God as our father through Jesus Christ, then we can actually be free from both to seek his kingdom. But what's the positive vision here for disciples? He's shown us what not to do. Don't be covetous. Don't be anxious. What should we do? Briefly. Look at verse 33. Here's Jesus' program for your money. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. (laughs) Exercise, Jesus says, radical strategic generosity. Instead of thinking that you need more to be happy or worrying that you don't have enough to be safe, you can see your wealth, no matter how much you have, as a means whereby you can do good for other people, especially those in need. And doesn't this make sense as followers of Jesus? Didn't Jesus see us in our need and come to us with radical, undeserved generosity and give his own life for you and me? How could we not in gratitude then turn to others and give and meet those needs, even when it's costly? Now you have to remember that in the first century, most of your material worth and wealth sort of existed in the form of stuff, right? 
So when Jesus says, sell your possessions, I don't think he means sell all your possessions. I think he means convert some of your wealth that exists in the form of flocks and chickens, convert that into some sort of transferable medium, and then give it away to those in need. Now, for most of us today, we don't have that same problem. Our material wealth comes to us in the form of a paycheck every month that's probably direct deposited into our bank account, right? Not in the form of crops or chickens. So we don't necessarily have to do a lot of selling in order to give. But what we can do is we can say, you know, I'm going to dedicate a certain amount every week or every month to do good to others. I'm going to give strategically to help those in need. Whether it's Syrian refugees fleeing from their country in fear whether it's children and families in countries stricken by poverty and hunger, whether it's young women caught in human trafficking, or whether it's much more close to home, fellow church members, my family in Christ, people right here in my spiritual family who have just real practical needs that I can meet by setting aside part of what God's given me to bless them and help them. And here's what's very interesting. Jesus says that when you do that, when you live that way, you become more and more rich toward God. Treasure in heavens is how he puts it. Treasure in the heavens. Now, I don't think that Jesus is talking about a growing pile of gold coins that's waiting for you in the new heavens and new earth. As if you're sort of playing some kind of version of Super Mario Brothers and the coins keep sort of getting rung up to the score bar above, right? Jesus is using imagery here, something concrete, something tangible. And I think he's saying something parallel here to what he's saying in verse 21. Both of these are sort of the conclusions of the two halves of our passage, right? He's talking about being rich toward God, an ever-growing relationship with God that will continue into eternity full of satisfaction and joy. Radical generosity puts God first and foremost, foremost in our lives. And if our treasure is in God in that way, then that's more and more where our hearts will live. As we exercise generosity, our hearts actually become less prone to covet and less prone to worry and more and more expanded to love and know the God who made us and loves us. In other words, radical generosity is one of the means the Holy Spirit uses to increase our trust and love and joy in God that continues from this moment all the way into eternity. And when the kingdom comes in fullness, Jesus is saying, we won't be disappointed. Because every effort we make to open up our hands to other people in this life, in generosity, for God's sake, Jesus is saying, you are going to be met by all the more of the soul-satisfying love of God, 100-fold in the world to come. Friends, the reality is no one in heaven, in the new heavens and the new earth, will wish that they had given less. In heaven, everyone will wish that they had given more.
you see. So friends, tonight, if you're struggling with covetousness, if you think I need more to be happy, if you're worrying, I don't have enough to be safe. Friends, come in or realize in a fresh way this relationship that Jesus invites us into as his disciples. To walk with God as our Father. To be rich toward God and to realize that he'll meet all of our needs and in the kingdom we'll enjoy him forever. Let's pray together. God, we ask that you would take the words of this text, Lord, the truths of this passage, and you'd help them to be lived out in our lives. Lord, help us to be a church, to be a people who exercise radical generosity. God, give us eyes to see ways in which we can do strategic good for others. Lord, help us not to be careless in how we go about our days and how we use our time. But Lord, help us to be generous and help us to be, Lord, even radical in that generosity. Lord, and help it, God, we pray. Would you use it, Lord, to expand our hearts to know you more and love you more. And God, to see your kingdom come more and more, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.